Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Every time I have a birthday, I go out to eat and I didn't get to go. So I was home all day and all night. And uh, I did did drink uh, uh, quite a bit. And uh, here he comes in, and he says he had been he had been wanting to buy my car for some time, and I was not ready to sell my car. This is the plaintiff, Doris French. She says she sold her neighbor her car, but he hasn't finished paying it off, and she wants it back. Since he refuses to give it to her, she's here in this court suing him for the two thousand five hundred thirty-five dollars fifty cents she's owed. This is the defendant, Walter Brennan. He says the plaintiff sold him the car for 1500 bucks, and he paid her with 15 crisp $100 bills. Unfortunately, the plaintiff tends to drink a little too much. Maybe she forgot he paid her or something. Bottom line, he owes nothing and has paid in full. He's accused of stiffing a neighbor. The defendant has filed a countersuit for $1,000 for overpayment and aggravation. All parties, please raise your right hand. What you are about to witness is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a case pending in civil court. Both parties have agreed to drop their claims and have their cases settled here before Judge Marilyn Millian in our forum, the People's Court. People's Court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Marilyn Milian is now presiding. Litigants have been sworn, Your Honor. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome. Okay, Ms. French, you are suing your neighbor and former friend, I guess, Mr. Brennan, for $2,535.50 because, according to you, he still owes that to you for a car you sold him. Explain to me what it is that's going on here. He gave me $1,500 for the car. When did you sell the car to him? About March 5th, around March 5th. That was my birthday. Okay. Happy birthday. How well, old did you I had, turn? I forgot. 78. 78. 87? Not 87. Or 78. 80, yeah. 87. 80, 80, 87. 87. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you look, you look fantastic. Oh, thank you. Okay, so tell me what happened. You have been drinking. It was your birthday. Was he over at your at your place? Well, he came in afterwards, and I was I was pretty okay. under the weather. I admit that. I, every time I have a birthday, I go out to eat, and I didn't get to go. 
So I was home all day and all night, and uh, I did uh, I did drink uh, uh, quite a bit. And uh, here he comes in, and he said he had been he had been wanting to buy my car for some time, and I was not ready to sell my car because that's my transportation. Anyway, to make a long story short, he went into his place and came back with fifteen hundred dollars, one hundred dollar bills. So I found the old title. And I did sign it after giving the $1,500, but he was supposed to pay me the rest of it in an installment plan. What did you sell your car for? I, I didn't sell it. It was really taken away from me. He, he came in with $1,500, laid it down. I gave him the car keys and the, the, the paper he got is not, um, I did not have it made. Someone else did, I did not. So I have the original title to the car. And it was fully okay, paid but Ms. For. Ms. French, I'm asking you how much you sold the car for. You're telling me that you accepted money and gave him keys, and you remember that. And you rem I, I understand that you're saying that you had too much to drink. I know you regret selling the car. I know that because you want the car back. But what yes, I'm asking you is how, mu how much did you sell the car for if it wasn't the $1,500? He was supposed to pay me... Uh, $500 a week until he paid me the rest of the money, which the car was worth What's the rest of the money? So what did you he sell it to him to for, for $2,500? Yes, ma'am, that's what I did. I sold it to him for $2,500. He never never once rang my bell and said, Mrs. Frenchy, would you like me to take you to the doctor? No. So I, I still Mr. want... Mr. Brennan, I, what's going on here? She's, she's painting a situation where you took advantage of her, and she. Uh, I guess she's saying you made her sell you her car. What What's your version of this? Okay, so let's go back to February. The beginning of February, she was, we, I went over to the house. We, I, like I customarily do sometimes, and we talk and we sit down and we just talk about things and then I'll leave and come back or whatever. I have a job, so I can't commit all the time to going over there, but she likes company. So... In February, she said, oh, I'm thinking about selling my car. I said, oh, yeah, to somebody upstairs in the building. I don't know who it was. I said, well, maybe I said, if it fits, if it fits you and that's, your, that's what you want to do, then sell it. You know, that's, that's your car. So that was as far as the conversation went. Then she called me on the telephone. She said, Walter, do you want to buy my car? And I said, sure. How much do you want to sell it for? She said, because before that, me and my wife had some issues. And I went over there and I entrusted Doris with some of these private issues that me and my wife were going through. And then she said, well, you know, for all the stuff that you went through with your wife, I'll sell it to you for $1,500. I said, all right, fine. That's cool. I said, thank you so much. So... I went over, I counted out 15 $100 bills. I put it in an envelope. I brought it over to her. Lie. And I gave it to her. And I said, I need a receipt. And she says, no, I don't need a receipt. I said, but I need a receipt. All right? She said, well, when I find the title, I'll give it to you. We could do all that. I said, fine, fine. Three days later, she said, I can't find the title now. But I'll, when I find it, I'll call you, come over, and, with, and I'll give it to you. I said, all right, fine. So 
Three days later, she calls me. She says, Walter, I found the title. I said, oh, cool. I'm coming over. I come over there. This is the title she gave me. We signed the back of it. She signed it. I signed it. And then that's when I bought a blank piece of paper and I wrote on here, I, Walter Brennan, bought this 2010 Hyundai Sonata from Doris French for $1,500 as is. And she signed it and I signed it. And that was the end of that. All right. So let me ask you a question, Miss French. In your complaint, you say, I really just want the car. I don't want the money. I just want the car. I shouldn't have sold the car. I regret saying my selling the car. Now I'm stuck in my apartment without a car. I only go out to walk my dog, Scotty. Um, and then you're suing him for this enormous amount of money because you know that you've already received 2000 for it. Why are you suing him for $2,535.50? You don't get to change a deal that you struck. You may regret striking a deal. And uh, unless I'm, I'm here to say everybody who's 87 can't make a contract, which I would never, ever, ever, ever say, you know, how is it that you shouldn't be stuck with the contract? Your only, uh, your only argument to me is I was too drunk to know what I was doing. But there's all this stuff that happens later, like you accepting more money for the car. Um, so it kind of sounds like you do know what you're doing. You just kind of regret that you sold it for too cheap and that you feel like you could make more right. money off of it. So yeah, I know. But that doesn't allow you to rip a deal apart. It's like you win some, you lose some, and this one you lose. You've got a counterclaim against her for $1,000 because you want the 500 that you willingly paid her extra back, and you want 500 for aggravation and emotional distress. Are you serious? Because there's a lot of people who might look at this and say, you know what? The minute she changed your mind, maybe you should have been a better egg about it. And maybe you should have given her back the car and taken back the money and just said, hey, you know, you know, maybe she wasn't all there that night. There's all kinds of things that other people in your position might have done, given your difference in age with her. Um, and the fact that now she has no wheels and she's 87 and lonely. So are you seriously asking me to make her pay you not just the $500 back, that you paid her in order to get the, that other title. And not just that, but another 500 for you being aggravated? Seriously? Tell me, explain that one to me. Okay, listen, I don't even care about that, but it was just it was just like a, a thing that just happened at the spirit of the moment because I was a little upset of how this whole thing went down. And the reason why she told me she wanted to sell that car was to save money on her insurance. That's the money she didn't have to pay anymore. And also, she wouldn't have to pay for the garage parking. That's what it was. And also, Bill, the guy that she had driving the car, she said, I'm tired of Bill effing driving my car, using it as a taxi. That's why she was selling this car, to selling the car. All right. Stop talking, Mr. Brennan. Press the off button. Miss French, a deal is a deal is a deal. I'm sorry that you regret it. In your lawsuit against Mr. Brennan, I'm ruling for Mr. Brennan. Mr. Brennan, on your lawsuit against Ms. French, zero. Okay? That's cool. That's my verdict. Thank you. See you later, Doris. i tell you one thing. He made, a, he made the biggest liar that God ever put on the face of the earth. So the case comes to an abrupt end, and the plaintiff loses her lawsuit. The defendant prevails. He loses his countersuit, but he wins the major suit. Uh, Ms. French, you just said that uh, Walter's a big liar. Why, why do you say that? No, I don't want nothing to do with him. All I wanted was my car back. I don't want to never see the man. I don't want to talk to him. Don't want to hear him. Don't, I don't care if he dropped dead. 
Ms. French, I think we know I think we know how you feel about it. And I'm sorry you lost the case. Walter, let me ask you, uh, you know, she's really upset at you. Uh, and yet you've done her a lot of favors, I gather, over the years, right? She forgets when I, I cleaned the house for her. I would wash her dishes sometimes, clean up the kitchen. I would run errands for her. You know, she told me when she saw me, she saw that car. I said, how are you going to get around? She says, oh, I'll just take a cab. I don't go around. I don't go out to the doctors that much anyway. Now, all of a sudden, right. she's got all these issues. Well, listen, good luck to you. I hope you guys work it out, okay? But you're off the hook for the lawsuit. All right, let's see what the judges have to say about this really interesting dispute. This seemed to me like a case of seller's remorse, where she genuinely did sell this guy the car and then later on... Yeah, I feel really sorry for her. I mean, I really do. She's not a fool. Um, She just has buyer's remorse. No, and if you look at the... Uh, actual receipt that's drawn, the bill of sale, it, it says, you know, as is, it has other things in it. If, if he's writing it up and trying to take advantage of her, he might not have written it that way. He might have, yeah. you know, made, he could have signed in any number, I suppose. But uh, at the end of the day, it does look like um, he, sold, he bought the car fair and square. Yeah, and she just regrets it. Right. And um, she's mentioned that many, many times. You better believe I regret it. It's, it's really right. buyer's remorse. Absolutely. Okay, Nina wants to know this. Hey, Harvey, uh, if I have a neighbor that is going to put up a private fence and the space between our properties is only five inches and they damage my chain link fence, do I have a case? Nina, it is simple. If they damage your fence in the process of putting up their fence, yes. How about that for a one-word answer? That'll do it for this case. Litigants for the next case inside the courtroom. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. These are the plaintiffs, Artega Carswell and Norman Bolding Jr. They say they rented an apartment from the defendant, and when they moved out, she unlawfully kept most of their security deposit. They refused to be taken advantage of because they left the place in the same condition as when they moved in and are suing for the $1,804.16 they're owed. This is the defendant, Pamela. She says she returned over $1,000 of the plaintiff's security, but kept some money to make the necessary repairs to the damages they caused and to get rid of furniture they left behind. Owe them money? No way. She's accused of holding on tight to the cash. All parties, please raise your right hands. Welcome back to the People's Court. Next case on the docket, the plaintiffs say they refuse to be ripped off by their unscrupulous landlord who basically stole their security deposit even though there is no justification for it. Now, the defendant says she returned some of the plaintiff's money, but she also kept some to repair the damages they caused. It's the case of holding on tight. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome. 
Okay, Ms. Carswell and Mr. Bolding, you're suing your former landlord, Ms. Pamela, for $1,804.16 because she kept part of your security deposit and you're angry at the reasons she kept it. So somehow that has turned into three times your security deposit. Talk to me, which of you wants to address me first? Your Honor, the reason why that um, I pursued the case today is not so much that I'm angry because she withheld some of the deposit. That's expected coming in a tenancy in New York City. It's some of the deductions that I believe that she put forth are fraudulent. There was a, a deduction for a cable visit for $100 for DirecTV. That wasn't our expense. I believe that was hers. Um, there was also deductions for a screen that was clearly in one of the videos that I submitted as evidence. So when we decided to exercise our What's month, a, why is that one fraudulent? Why was a deduction for the screen fraudulent? We never took the screen. And in that screen. video, it's not broken. Oh, it's she. No. She sued you for taking a screen, and the screen's there. That's what you're saying. That is correct. Okay. It all started because there was a leak in the bathroom that she wanted to get fixed, and it was during the height of COVID. So it originally dates back to, I want to say, November 2018. What I did was I emailed her, letting her know that the towels in the bathroom was cracking. She came with the contractor, and at the time, the contractor told her that Ms. Williams, whoever installed the bathroom towel, did it incorrectly, and that in order to have the bathroom towel done, we would have to leave the apartment for two weeks. And then he suggested, oh, well, maybe they can use a porta potty during the time that the bathroom renovations would have took place. Which is not going to happen. Now, we, no. <laughs> was told, <laughs> we was told by Ms. Williams that the apartment before we moved in was vacant for an entire year. And then when we wanted to move in in October of 2017, she spoke with my previous landlord and asked for a one-month extension, I believe, to paint the apartment. So the apartment was essentially vacant for one year and one month before we moved in. All the necessary repairs to the bathroom could have been done during that time. But when we moved in, that's when she wanted to handle the renovations. Well, so, how long had you lived there by the time she wanted to... to it, it's not a renovation. It's repair a <clears> leak because she's... Ms. Uh, Pamela, you were sensing the effects of a leak in your place where you live, which is just underneath them, correct? Oh, water started coming down. I actually submitted one of the paper, uh, a picture okay. where you can see the right. damage. So water it's not renovations. It's trying to fix a serious plumbing problem. But in any event, by the time it's actually going to happen, it's COVID time, right? It's like March. Yes. And so she wanted you... She thought you would be happy because I see in her text when she says, good news, the contractor can do it this weekend and he'll get it done all day Saturday and all day Sunday, so you, you just have to get a hotel for Saturday night. You guys tell her, we're not paying for a hotel, you have to pay. She says, okay, and then she tells you it's going to be this weekend and that didn't work out for you. And no. according to you, Ms. Pamela, why didn't it happen? It didn't happen because of the multiple delays that the two here kept putting on me. Um, I tried to work with them. I haven't always been a landlord. I've been a tenant. So I try to treat them like I like to be treated myself. Anything that I brought to them was not acceptable. 
as she said, we had one contractor that wanted to do two, two weeks. I said, that's not, that's not going to happen. And that's when we were trying to look for options, where they could stay, what we can do, what have you. And then plus, she was um, concerned about the animal because her pet, she said, had anxiety. And, but there were other times I had ensured her that um, I'm going to keep working and see if we can find someone. So finally, we found this contractor that said, listen, I can do this in two days. She works the weekends. Okay. Norman is the one that doesn't work the weekends. So this was great for me. This is where the great news came from. I thought they were going to be super excited. So now that work is supposed to happen that weekend, but it doesn't. Why doesn't it happen? Because they wouldn't allow it. They wouldn't let me in. They said How did no. They, what they said? They said they said that they had uh, COVID issues. They had they were quarantining themselves. They put themselves on quarantine. So okay. I was like, okay. So they put themselves on quarantine. You Although didn't buy Norman it, right? was in and out every he it wasn't true. Norman was in and out every day, all day, or every day. Miss Carswell, no, but he definitely continued his normal strain of business. So I said it was all right. So this, when she said, Well, I'm gonna move, that was a verbal conversation. So I said, Well, you know what? Give me something in writing and let me know. You're definitely gonna move. And I said, If you're gonna move, it's fine. Okay, let's so she does move. You guys move on what day, folks? Miss Carswell, when do you April twenty ninth? April 29th. April 29th. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now, Ms. Uh, Pamela, you have retained how much of their security deposit? $717.16. Why did you retain it? Okay, they mentioned the screen. I didn't say that they took the screen. They didn't take the screen. The screen was damaged. So the screen had to be repaired. On moving day, I work from home. I don't have the television on during the day. However... As they were moving, moving up and down, they had movers coming and they unplugged their television. When they unplugged their television, for some odd reason, all of my service in my house went out. So when I was alerted that the televisions had went off, I went upstairs and I said, oh my goodness, I said, did you just cut the cable? And she says, no, why would you think I cut the cable? I didn't cut any cable. I said, well, what did you just do here that all of my televisions just went out? So she said, um, I unplugged my TV. And I said, oh. Okay, but so, so why? So you, I understand TV. that you had to call Direct TV, and according to you, you had to pay them a hundred dollars. But what did she do wrong? The act of pulling out or unplugging her TV? She's never going to leave her no, TV no. behind. She's moving out. No. Yes. Yes. No judge. Yes. No. I yes. understand. She pulled her TV out. She unplugged her TV. In other words, why is that something she has to recompense you for? I mean, I know it's because sad I that you had to fork she was out on my bucks, cable but why is that service. Her what evidence do you have? My cable service. What I evidence don't. do you have that? I I'm plugging have the TV. Stop and listen to me. I'm then you can't prove that, and you can't withdraw for. You can't withhold their security deposit for that, because if she has a TV plugged in a room and she unplugs a TV in the room, that doesn't turn off cable everywhere else in the house. In, in my house, even though every room is sharing cable in my house, that's not how it works. Come on. So that would never no, well, be something this is what happened. Pay. Here's a picture of the screen that we were talking explain? about. And that's what she's saying. Not that the screen is missing, but that the screen is busted. What happened with that screen? Why is it busted? That screen is to the back room that we never used. Okay. Oh, we never used that right, room. Now this we never even opened paint, the door. Dirty stove, nails in the wall, nails in the wall. What are you withholding for pipes? Why do pipes have anything to do with... Ooh. I didn't oh, that's, is that hair? I showed you a picture of the hair that came out of that tub um, when they repaired. That is it. So, you know, I'm not trying to be unfair here. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever send them 
a notice of what you were going to keep and why you were going to keep it. Yes, I did. All right, I'm seeing that you wrote the letter to her May 22nd. When did you receive the letter, Ms. Carswell? I received the letter in the mail on June 4th. And when did you get the money? That was on May 28th, and that was at 1-something in the morning. So it was after yes, the letter, after the letter. Okay. Yes. And you moved out April 29th. Is there any dispute, Ms. Pamela, that she moved out April 29th? No, that's correct. How long do you have she by moved law out. to tell a, a tenant what you are to itemize for them, what you are keeping, and to return the rest of it? How long do you have by law? Do you know? 14 days. Okay. And did you do it within the 14 days that you are allowed to by law? I did. The payment and the... Um, I'm sorry. The payment. If she moved out April 29th, how is sending her a letter on, April, on May 22nd, 14 days? That is not 14 days. That is well beyond the 14 days, isn't it? Welcome back to the People's Court. The plaintiff is having great difficulty trying to tell the judge whether she gave proper notice before she bailed on the apartment. Uh, is she circling the drain? We'll find out by going back into the courtroom. Why didn't you send her a letter within 14 days like the law requires? You have 14 days to send the letter, itemizing. Okay, you dated the letter May 22nd. You understand that there are 22 days in May, plus April 30th. So that is 23 days. That is not 14 days. Everything I'm looking at in this case, and I have gone item by item for everything that you have submitted, mm -hmm. says that you didn't give her an itemized list before May 22nd. So now my only question to you is, do you have some proof that you gave her an itemized list, as the law requires, within 14 not days the of the list. end of her lease? Right. And yeah, that's the, the law. List. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't think 14 days is enough time for a landlord. But no, no, write agree. your congressman in New York. Write your congressman I in New York. Because that is the law <laughs> in New York. As of the last few years, it's 14 days to send them the itemized letter so, really, landlords have to hustle. The minute they get out, they got to get out there and get their estimate and send their letter. If it turns out that it costs you cheaper, bully for you and send them more. But if you do not send an itemized letter within the 14 days, you're dead. And by dead, yeah, I, I mean if it. a landlord. I, I got you, but, you know, you got me, right? I got it. It ain't personal, right? <laughs> All right? <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Ms. Carswell, during the time that you lived there, did you guys get along? We got along fine. It wasn't until we exercised our right to move and she asked for a confirmation on April 20th. On April 23rd, she took away the Wi-Fi. On April 23rd, she also sent us a letter indicating that she was increasing our rent by $300 because she was encountering problems. Imagine my surprise when I looked on the website and saw that she was now posting the apartment for $1,900. So I felt that After she, she was told you that it would be twenty one hundred, mm -hmm. right? We felt that she was retaliating against us because we was moving because everything was so rapid fire. When we was moving out, right. I always emailed Miss Pamela to let her know this is the date we're moving out. If there's any hiccups, we of course we'll let you know. We even paid April's rent because we wanted to have a great exit. And you could probably see You're from some to of the... supposed to pay April's rent. You know that, right? Yes, yes. But, I, yes, I understand. But yeah. we really wanted to have a great exit. We didn't want to chance anything. And that's the reason why when I text her back and forth, I told her of the 14-day um, 
um, law. And she told us you would get your security within 30 days. But I said, why you don't actually you warn her of the 14 days during yeah, the 14 days. Can. You actually tell her. I know you, she actually tells you, Miss Pam, that you, you know, you only have yeah. 14 days and you're like, you'll get it when you get it. And then she gets it when she gets it. And now that's the position I'm in. So because she didn't comply with what the law requires her to comply with, I am ordering her to return the $717.16. Good luck, folks. Thank you. Thank you. So the plaintiffs do prevail to the tune of $717. Let's see what uh, the landlord, Ms. Pamela, has to say about this. Ms. Pamela, what do you think? Hi. Yes, I, I missed it. It used to be 30. It's now 14. COVID delays. I couldn't make the, I couldn't make the cut. I wasn't being retaliatory. Um, but it's fine. It's okay. They're going. I hope they're happy, and I'm happy. Thank you very much. Uh, Ms. Carswell, Mr. Bolding, what, all right, you satisfied with the $700 you got, $717? That's it? Okay. I'm satisfied, but I just want to say that renter beware, especially with New York um, private homeowners like Ms. Pamela, because you could see that she was upset, and she's upset now that she have to pay this money. And it's, it's just sad. It's sad state affairs that when a renter tried to get an apartment, they have to jump through hoops. But the landlords, they may have dubious backgrounds, God have you, and basically you're walking into a situation that you didn't create. Well, that could be good advice. All right. Well, thank you very much and congratulations. All right. Let's see what the judges have to say. Ms. Carswell, one of the co-plaintiffs in this case, was a very sharp woman. She documented everything. She took very the sharp. videos yeah. that she had to take. And she had pretty good relationship with the landlord. There was a cordial relationship back and forth. She stayed I got the impression the problem was between him and the landlord. Uh, it may be, maybe a little bit. But uh, one thing that came out uh, from your ruling was this New York law on security deposits, they're not playing around there. That's like a hard and fast rule. The irony is to... that she actually told her about it. So right. if you don't know the law, that's one thing. And then when you're told the law, Maybe go on the internet and see if right. it's accurate, and then right. kind of. And I get it because it's, it's almost COVID like strict and it's, liability for landlords. It's hard for for somebody to get somebody to go right. out there and take a look at things. Right. I get it, but it is what it is, you know. Okay, Bill wants to know this, and this is a good one. Um, hey, Harvey, if I purchased a property and later found out it has an abandoned, clearly forgotten family cemetery from hundreds of years ago, do I own the remains? Well, first of all, Bill. It sounds a little creepy, uh, but um, this is complicated. If I were you, I would call your local police department first, because even if you could make that argument that it's yours, remains are difficult because they are considered sacred. And in some cases, depending on where you live, um, it could be you know, disturbing a body. Uh, and that's a crime in some states. So I would call the police department and make sure that you have uh, dotted your I's and crossed your T's so you don't get in trouble. And that will do it for this case. Litigants for the next case inside the courtroom. This is the plaintiff, Jim Burris. He says the uncaring defendants have pit bulls who they let run loose. And one of them attacked his five-pound chihuahua, Lily, violently pummeling her and shook her like a rag doll in his mouth. Lily needed life-saving emergency surgery to the tune of $4,931. The defendants refused to pay him. And he's here suing them for every penny of it. 
These are the defendants, Coban and Burgundy Norwood. Burgundy says the plaintiff knocked on their door, claiming one of their dogs injured his dog a whole year ago and demanded they pay him $5,000. Here's a creepy guy at their front door with this crazy story about his dog needing emergency life-saving surgery, claiming their dog bit his dog. Bottom line, their dogs are fenced in. They've never gotten out. There are a lot of strays in the neighborhood, and they refuse to give this guy a dime. They're accused of losing control. All parties, please raise your right hands. Welcome back to the People's Court. Next case on the docket. The plaintiff says the defendants are uncaring people because they let their two vicious pit bulls attack the plaintiff's tiny five-pound chihuahua. But the defendant says their dogs are fenced in. They never get out, and this is a case of mistaken identity. It's the case of drop the chalupa. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome, ma'am. All right, Mr. Burris, what happened? Well, I was letting my dog out in the front yard to uh, do what they have to do. And she's a small dog, so we keep her inside most of the time. And uh, we was out there letting her do that, and I was talking to a friend. And all of a sudden, he said, that dog's got your dog, shaking her like a squirrel. So... He ran over there, and when he ran over there, the dog dropped her and ran off. But it was, uh, uh, he had punctured, he had bit her, and she was bleeding. So we picked her up, put her in a towel, and took her to the uh, emergency, or to the doctor here in Malvern, and they didn't have an emer emergency room. So we took her to Little Rock. He said, I don't know whether she's going to make it or not. So we took her up there, and the uh, final thing was she, they had broke three ribs and punctured a lung. And they had to take part of the lung out, and they put, I don't remember, six or nine staples in. And we brought her home. We got her Monday after we took her up there Friday. That's what happened. Okay, and I've seen the vet bills. And why are the Norwoods responsible? Well, it was their dogs. Uh, my neighbor even said that he told me, he called me and said, you know where them dogs are? I said, well, I think, but not sure. And he said, well, it's down the next street over next to that little tile house. And so I went down there and I saw the dog and this was before they put their fences up. Now they do. They've got a nice fence. They've got it for their dog and everything. But back then, this was in December of, of 18 and they didn't have no fences up. They were summoned to court and he was fined. Uh, I don't remember exactly how much, but he was fined for having these dogs loose in the neighborhood. Okay. Can you tell me what's going on here? The ticket he's talking about is from a stray dog that was running around our neighborhood. We fed the dog. Um, it was a long time ago, and we paid the ticket, even though the dog didn't belong to us, and went on with our business. Why would you pay a because ticket for attorney, a dog that doesn't belong to you? The, our attorney told us to pay the ticket. The dog was at our house. It was a stray, but we kind of fed him. We didn't fence him in like we do our own animals. But we fed him, and he was just running loose. So that was why the running at large ticket came about. But this dog didn't do anything to anyone's dog or anyone else. So what we is your defense? That's not my dog, dog or that's the dog that we were taking in, and we don't really think it's our dog, but we took him in, so we pled guilty. Because the plea of guilty that I'm looking at is to not registering, not having shots, and to having a dog loose. 
And, and that's on this case, on this attack. That's the plea of guilty. So that's what I want to focus on. That's on Coben, right? Not on you, um, Ms. Mrs. Norwood, right? So Coben, explain to me what it is you pled guilty to. Welcome back to the People's Court. The judge is hammering one of the defendants, wanting to know exactly what was it that this person pled guilty to involving some kind of an animal issue. Let's go back into the courtroom. A dog running at large and, uh, no, and it's uh, no leash. So typically in a case like this, the case is over. But now I've got this ridiculous circumstance where you actually pled guilty to it. And that has value that a judge cannot ignore. In other words, that's something that can be used against you. It's basically your own admission that you should have had the dog on a leash. And in this case, this is the case where it's dog. happening. The dog he pled guilty well, to was a stray. Yeah, but why plead? You you keep saying that, but I've got to decide whether to believe you or not. And it's I understand why someone pleads guilty in order to avoid jail. You know, when your choices are, listen, please take this lesser plea, or you're facing, you know, five years in jail. Well, that makes sense. You might plead guilty when you're not guilty. But who pleads guilty to a hundred dollar ticket on a dog that's not theirs? It looks to me like the dog is maybe theirs. Can I ask you something? What kind of lawyer advises you? I'm, I'm just trying to understand how a lawyer could advise you to plead guilty to this and then not expect that you're going to get sued for the damage to the dog because you're going to get sued for the damage to the dog. And, and, and the only evidence he has against you is your plea of guilty. That's the only evidence and he has against you because he doesn't have the witness. He doesn't have the... the but but I've got, what am I supposed to do with that? I'm supposed to look at that and say... No, nah, he's not responsible. He took responsibility and pled guilty. What proof is there? There's no proof. The summons that you got said your dog was loose and bit another dog. But not our dog, a stray dog. That you feed? We fed it, yes. Okay, so it's so enough your dog. You feed the dog. You're responsible for all of the dog's meals, but it's a stray. But you feed the dog. And he says, it's your dog. He doesn't even have the neighbor here to testify, but you go and plead guilty to it. And I'm supposed to ignore that you pled guilty Coven to this, guilty. to this case. I didn't. That's true. I'm dismissing you from the case. Dog. You're right. You didn't plead guilty. I am dismissing you from the case. Coben, however, you owe the plaintiff $4,931 in vet bills. That is my verdict. Corbin, what's your reaction to this? Yeah, I don't, I don't really understand it. I went to court over this already, and I just, I mean, apparently, you know, the other judge didn't think I was guilty. Well, this one did, and it's going to cost you dearly, almost $5,000. Mr. Burris, how about you? How do you feel now? This is kind of justification, what? right? I think people have dogs. I keep my dogs took care of. They keep pinned up. If they, I mean, in the house when they're not, if I'm not out with them. And so I think they ought to have the same responsibility. So that'll conclude this case. Let's join the judges now for another session of After the Verdict. When you enter a guilty plea in a criminal case and you're subsequently sued in a civil case for the same facts, you're out of luck. That's going to be admissible against you in court in the civil case, correct? Right. And in a case like this where the only defense was it's not my dog, right. it's particularly probative. I mean, I can understand in a what criminal case, there'll be a lot of people who will plead guilty to avoid jail. What are you avoiding 
this is ludicrous. If it's not your dog, it's not your dog. Right. Um, but is it your dog? If you're feeding the dog every day, right. you know, all of its meals. And you're swearing under oath before to say a judge it's not your dog. that it's my fault that if the dog wasn't on a leash, certainly. You know, when I was a criminal court judge, sometimes people would ask to take a so-called nolo contendere plea or a no contest plea. And sometimes I would permit it, but not all the time. It would depend on the facts of the case. And one of the consequences of guilty versus no contest or a true plea of convenience is, yeah, it may come back to bite you in the rear end right. later on and it, right. it bit this guy. Okay, George wants to know this. Hey, Harvey, my ex-wife keeps taking me to family court for child support and the judge keeps denying it. Is there any way I can get her to stop harassing me? Well, I got to tell you, this is a really good question and a common one at that. There are so many people who say they get divorced, but they only get divorced in name only. They do not emotionally or legally break free from their ex-spouse. That seems to be the case here. My best advice is this. If somebody keeps getting taking you back to court for the same thing and they keep losing, you should ask for attorney's fees, you should ask for sanctions, and you could even file some kind of a malicious prosecution lawsuit if it is based solely on malice. But it is a situation where sometimes people just will not let it go, and sometimes you have to take the offensive, you have to file suit, you have to go after them in order for them to finally stop. We'll see you next time.